This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author, kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. And Taylor, last week's show, you talked about some Netflix shows that you were watching, and I had a question that I wanted to ask you at the end of the show. We're kind of running late, so I thought, well, we'll just use it for chit-chat this week. And that question is, what it, it seems like, this is background. It seems like when you start watching a show, you make the decision, I'm going to invest my time in watching all of this. So how do you how do you choose what you're going to watch? Because when I go into Netflix or Amazon Prime, I look and it's like, wow, there's a million choices. Um, there's you got a little thumbnail, and then maybe you watch a preview. And it's like, do I want to watch 14 episodes of this or eight or six or whatever? And almost always, I'm just like, I'm exhausted thinking about it. I'm going to just turn the TV off. But you, you I have feel a different the same process. way. <laughs> but, you, but you watch <laughs> well, it. <laughs> well, well, so well, so there's some things I just know I'm not going to watch. Anything that's like horror or like psychological thrillery that that messes with your head or um, that's too intense. I'm just not going to watch it. I write stuff that's intense, but I can't watch or read it. My body responds to it like it's real, it's happening. I've talked about this on the show before. Um, my, I know the difference between fantasy and reality, but my body doesn't. And I have to take extra special care with that right now because of what I'm learning about my brain being broken and how it's connected to a nervous system that's in perpetual flight or fight mode. And so I have to be careful what I consume because it's going to get my heart rate up. It's going to affect my emotions. So anything that's going to be dark, like in that, that doesn't come with enough of an enjoyable component, it's automatically off the table. And then I know that there are some things that I do tend to enjoy more than others and those tend to be fantasy and sci-fi and um because it i think it helps my my body mind connection be a little more discerning like this is not real so you can not get bent out of shape about it but stuff that is grounded in the real world that's the stuff that i have to be more careful about so I really do enjoy um, sort of mysteries or shows that involve really having to think or puzzle through where you're trying to keep up with what's happening on the screen and figure it out as you go. But when they get too dark and thriller-esque, then I I just know it's too, too much for me. So like there's a show out right now. I don't remember what streaming services on it's called the night agent and from what i can tell just the little bit that i saw of it it looks like it's really well done but i just know that it's not for me because there's too much intensity with not enough 
there to back off the intensity. And so that's out. So I watched one episode of The Night Agent and went, no, this is too too far into the dark uh, thriller side of things for me. And so no. So that's normally how how I'll do it. I'll see something that looks like it could possibly be entertaining. Um, I find the the blurbs. I, I, I joke that the little write ups or the bubbles that they use to describe a show that the whole purpose of those is to make you not want to watch it, because there's <laughs> never been one that I've read and thought, oh, that looks really good. So, so what I do appreciate are trailers. And sometimes, depending on the the platform, they'll just autoplay some bit out of it, and that gives me a sense of what the overall tone of the story of the story is going to be. So, if it's it could be really serious subject matter, but as long as the tone is light enough, then I know that okay, I I can do this. So then it comes down to watch the first episode. If the first episode pulls me in and I feel like I want more of this, then I will keep committing to it. With the case of the one we were talking about last week, The Diplomat, where I got through the whole first episode and I still wasn't sure, it was just because I didn't really understand what the story was about or where it was going. So I didn't know what I was getting myself into. And if it was just going to be like some backroom, you know, no political drama, marriage drama, or whatever. Maybe not. But it was the tone was right. The characters were done well enough that I thought, okay, I'll give it a second one just to see. If that second one had also left me going, eh, I would have quit. But by the time we were through that second one, I I was starting to get it. I was like, okay, I get where this is going. So that's pretty much what it boils down to. It does it fit within the range of a emotional content that I can handle without getting, um, you know, my nervous system all bent out of shape. All right. That's our starting point. Does it look interesting? (laughs) You know, how's the acting? How's the dialogue? Let's give it one, one episode. And, and if that first episode doesn't work, then we'll move on to something else. That's kind of how it works. How often does that happen when the first episode doesn't work? Oh, it happens often enough. Okay. I like I for me watching TV is still a relatively new thing. It's only been what like 2 3 years now that TV has become sort of part of my evening routine. I never used to watch TV before. So I don't miss it when I don't have it. And if I what the only time I would like oh I need to put something on TV is if I'm like trying to exercise and I need something to force me to stay in one spot long enough to to do what needs to be done right to get my heart pumping or whatever so i really don't feel any sadness or disappointment if i start something and then turn it off because i'm just not into it that's just like that's my baseline is not being into it so it takes something to really keep me sitting there and that's why i do tend to gravitate towards fantasy or sci-fi comedy romance but not cringe. And and then these types of shows that we were talking about that are political in nature, but not in a dark or depressing sort of way. Okay. 
Uh, when you and I first started talking, we're getting into our topic now, and the topic is email newsletters. There was a um, a survey that was done by BookBub recently, and I kind of want to talk through that. But Taylor, when you and I first started talking, uh, one of the things that I was so impressed about your author business was your newsletter. And you had put a tremendous amount of time and energy into the creation of this newsletter engine uh, as a way of introducing yourself to new readers. Do you still have, I, I know you still have the newsletter, but do you still use it semi-regularly? It's on autopilot now. Um, I found that because I was putting so much effort into creating what I hoped to be valuable content, because I, I hate spam. I can't stand it when people waste my time by sending nonsense into my inbox. I didn't want to be that person doing to somebody else. So I did spend a lot of time trying to build out valuable content, but it was incredibly time consuming. And as as life got crazier and more demanding, and as my brain function started declining, I realized I simply couldn't anymore. So I don't. I haven't even written a proper newsy, like just a newsletter, in over a year. So, but it's on autopilot. So it, there's about five years worth of emails there. If somebody were to sign up on my newsletter today, they'd get five years of content before it petered out and died. So <laughs> I guess the answer is yes, but also no. Okay. All right. Um, do you know who BookBub is? Do you know what yes. BookBub is? Okay. All right. Um, so this is, uh, we'll, we'll start off with who responded to the survey. And this will, indie authors tend to, be much more like, well, they don't tend to, they are much more likely to to want to use BookBub than traditionally published authors. Well, who of I course... know what BookBub is, but does our audience know what BookBub is? Well, let's ask. Does anyone <laughs> not guys. know what, <laughs> what BookBub is? Okay, you in Kansas. I see that you don't. <laughs> so BookBub is this massive newsletter that's um, collated by genre. and it is a way of getting your books in front of a lot of people. And historically, if you can get a BookBub ad, uh, which is a way of selling your book at a greatly reduced price, uh, you will drive a lot of traffic to your book. And if it's the first book in a series, um, you'll drive a lot of traffic to your series. So it's a very popular thing. It's, it's, it's challenging to even get a BookBub. Um, so it's, it's kind of one of those things where you'll hear people say, oh, I, I got a book, Bob, you know, I've been trying for two and a half years and I finally got one. And there are lots of ways of, of going about it, but you know, the main book, Bob, if, if you can, if you can be listed in the daily email that goes out to, for example, mystery thriller readers, um, and you've got a discounted book one in there, um, it, it could, it could be really good for you if, if it's a really good book. And it leads into the series, and the series is engaging. So anyway, that's BookBub. It's just this massive email engine. Uh, so they they do surveys from time to time, and they did an email um, newsletter survey at the beginning of 2023. Uh, so 73% of the people who responded to the email classify themselves as self-published authors. Um, 
Only 8% um, classify themselves as hybrid. Well, not, I'm sorry. No, uh, traditionally. Only 8% classify themselves as traditionally published. So that gives you some sense of who BookBub is is uh, used used by. So 19% were hybrid. How many books have you published? This is kind of interesting. One to five was, uh, what is that, 30%? 30%. Yeah. Uh, five to 10, 21%. 50 plus was 9%. That's, I know that's crazy, yeah, right? That's, that is, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean that that, but the hardcore indie authors who produce a lot of books would be the ones who also are effectively using BookBub. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you're writing a book a month and you've been writing a book a month for four years, that almost gets you to the fifty plus category. But man, that's. A- <laughs> I was talking to someone today. Um, who just went over a hundred? Oh my god! And, I, uh, I feel exhausted even just thinking. About that. <laughs> like I haven't even written ten books total. I mean, I have written, but not published. I've written yes. ten books, I think. All right. So, what genres do you write in? It's kind of what you would expect: the majority uh, romance or rom com. Next on the list: fantasy, sci fi, or horror. Uh, then mysteries and thrillers, and then historical fiction, literary fiction, or women's fiction. And I, for the life of me, I'm not entirely certain what women's fiction is. Um, it's <laughs> it's serious subject matter written by women. If, if it's serious subject matter, matter written by men, it's just fiction. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> same same content, different different gender of the author, totally right. different classification. There we have it. Taylor sad, Stevens, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> All right. Now we now we start to get into the meat of this. How often do you typically email your subscribers? And you, Taylor, you're on you're on the auto send process. Is there do you remember when you set it up how what the regularity is that you like to communicate every, every two weeks. It every started off. Weeks. It started off at once a week, and then I realized that I was going to destroy my sanity if I had to keep that up because it was on a clock. I'd be really careful about changing the scheduling because, like, say somebody got an email on you know day fourteen, and then I changed it so that those emails were going out you know every two weeks instead of every week then you'd end up with people getting emails back to back. or So I had to be real careful about going in and changing the numbers, but I've gradually worked it to where the emails that were going out every week moved to like every 10 days, and then the ones that were going every 10 days moved to two weeks. And so after a little bit, then it was just every two weeks. And then it started going every month. Now, there is, there's kind of a school of thought. There are actually lots of different schools of thoughts, but... Uh, one of the things that successful newsletter people do in general, and not just authors, but just in general, is when you subscribe to a newsletter, you want to connect with people for a few times so that they open the email and it mail, mail systems know that these messages are important to you, so they actually go into the inbox. So what a lot of people will do was to have like an opening sequence, kind of like Taylor has a five-year-long opening sequence, essentially, um, but having a, having a sequence where over the course of a couple of weeks, you might email people three or four or even five times, uh, and then it either slows down or just becomes 
when you send out when you send out the email. So um, ideally, you don't just get an email message, send out a quick thank you, and then nothing until it's time for your new book to come out. Because when that happens, they're very Nobody's likely to not it. see your message. Yeah. Okay. So how often do you typically email your subscribers? Once a month is the largest um, percentage-wise. That was 41%. Two or three times a month, 26%. Every week, 12%. A few times a year when I have new releases or updates, 11%. Um, and I know as an email subscriber, that's kind of my preference. I just... I want to get the emails, but I want to get them when you have a new book. <laughs> like you don't want I, them the um, in between ones. But I think it, I think that's why I took the tack that I did with mm -hmm. yours were educational when I was being. I, I tried to make them worthwhile, and I tried to keep them really authentic and real, and something that people would feel feel happy about opening and when i'm in like when i send out an email especially if it's a newsie because a newsie is not on a clock it's it's one and done whoever's on the list at that time is going to get it and then no it's it goes that's it it's gone and so when you're in the back end of the the email program you can actually see in in real time as people open up the emails and to me, I, I sit and watch. And it's been a long time since I've done it because I haven't sent anything out fresh in a long time. But to, like when you're the one who's put all this work, like sometimes it took me days to write an email, a newsie, whatever. And you put all this work out. The last thing you want to do is experience it in such a way that nobody's even interested in what you have to say. <laughs> So to be able to see people opening it in real time and know that people will open my emails as soon as they hit the inbox, that's what inspired me to keep going because I felt like, well, at least it matters to people. Not everybody, obviously. I mean, there's always a percentage of subscribers who forget that they use their spam email address and never even saw one of your emails come in or, you know, people die unfortunately or well, there, there's lots of reasons why people will not open their emails but to see so many being opened so quickly that kind of kept me realizing well this is this is good this is helpful to others and I know that I'm not wasting my time and so that's why I continued doing it for as long as I could um, but I know that because I didn't want to be the spammer right but sometimes I get emails from authors and they feel like they're not, I don't want to read them. This is, it does not interest me. It's not worthwhile. It's not written in, in a compelling way, which is a little scary when you think that they write for a living. And, and I didn't want to be that. So I think like somebody who's sending out emails every week good Lord, I really hope your audience appreciates what you have to say. Because if somebody was sending me something every week and it wasn't an email that I felt 
made my day better in some way, either by teaching me something I didn't know or just inspiring me, like making me happy with picture of a puppy. I don't know. Then, (laughs) then I'm not going to want to open the emails and then eventually I'll just delete them because they're, they're cluttering up my inbox. So I think when you say, you know, how often are you emailing people? The content matters. Context matters to that question in terms of whether it's actually beneficial or not as something worth doing. I have, I think, three authors who publish pretty regularly whose email messages I try and always open. They at least, if I see them, I open them. One of them writes three or four different series. And his email is basically, um, this is what I'm working on, and then this, and then this, and this is about when the books are going to come out. And so then I will go onto my calendar and, you know, put down, check to see if these books are out by this person, because I may not see the email that comes out when he actually releases the book. And so I, I kind of, I like that. Is I like hardcore, that. Steve. Yeah, well, I don't, put the, I don't put it on your calendar. I am so oh, I do that. I do that a lot. I do that a lot for new releases of books, uh, especially if the authors don't put pre-orders up. If they put a pre-order up, then you can just go order it and it'll it'll yeah. show up. But if they don't put a pre-order up because they're not completely sure. It's really easy to miss a book. And then all of a sudden it's a year later, you're thinking, wow, this person hasn't published a book for a while. And you go back and look and, you know, there were three of them. Anyway, that's one. And the other one, I, I was talking last week about a, a a book that I read where there was some kind of artificial tension that was put in the book. But I like this author. He's an older gentleman, uh, lives in Texas. Um, I, I enjoy his books. And he probably writes four or five emails a month, three of which annoy me and two of which I enjoy. The annoying ones are the ones where it's like, hey, go and get your free XYZ book here, um, where he's a part of like a book funnel collection or something like that. Um, those don't appeal to me. I, I tend not to use those things, but I'm I'm in a unique position. Um, but the other this- two, it will be, he's talking about where he is in the next book, like how far along he is. That That's actually, that cool. interests yeah. me. I want to yeah. know, you know, or he's two thirds of the way through and then it's going to the editors and you can kind of guesstimate when it's going to be. And he writes two different series. And the other day I saw an email, it's like, oh, he's going to go back to this other series. And I I just got really excited about it. It's like knowing that there's going to be another one of those books out this year excited me. But the next question on this survey is like, what kinds of content do you typically include? And I think this is awesome. The the information is awesome. But I'd also like side that and say, I would love to see this type of a survey from reader's perspective. Yes. Not what type of content does the author include, but what type of content do you enjoy? Yes. But, But anyway, yeah, this, this content, like, 92% 92% include updates about new books. That makes perfect sense, mm-hmm. of course. 70% cover reveals, of course. Anytime I had a new cover that I could send out, I'd absolutely do that. Recommendation of other authors' books, 65% will do that. 65% include personal stories or updates. 
62% sneak peeks or excerpts of new books, 56% giveaway or contest. So you know that when people are answering these questions, it's not one or the other. It's like, I do this and this and this and this and this and this. So 51% offer discounts on backlist books, 49% behind the scenes personal information on the writing process. That was like, what, 80% of my emails were like that. Mm-hmm. 36% bonus content about my books, 29% pictures of pets, and I'm doing a fist pump score. I should have done a whole lot more of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> 25% series information and reading order, 20% pictures of my home or writing space. You will never find a picture of that <laughs> from me. Um, 19% other and 13% deleted scenes. I think. If I was the receiver of these emails, I would love the personal stories and updates. I would care. Like there's some authors whose emails I read. I don't even know if I've ever read any of their books. I'm sorry, but they know that I'm a really bad reader, but they I'm on their list and I read their emails because they are personal. They are their own personal journeys, their own personal stories, their own struggles with writing. Um, the ups and downs, vagaries of life. And I think for me, I connect with those. I like to hear that from other people because it makes them seem real. And it helps remind me that I'm not the only one who struggles, which I know being an author, seeing it from other authors, it's going to be different for me than to the average email recipient. But regardless of whether the struggle is with writing or with something else, it sort of builds this sense of, I don't want to say community, but like connection where mm. you feel less alone. And I know it can give rise to parasocial relationships where you feel like you have a deeper connection with the person than really is that you you know them so well that they don't know who you are. But at the same time, I think in this day and age, authenticity can sometimes be so hard to come by that when we see it in someone, we naturally gravitate towards it because there's so much fake out there. And I know that I do. I gravitate towards those who are authentic and real and aren't afraid to share their struggles, but also not in a woe is me, life is so mean, but more like just this is what's happening. And they have, you know, the victories to share as well. That's what's meaningful to me. And I I would be so interested to know is it just me do others feel the same way what causes people to feel that connection i want to understand the underpinnings i want to know the 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 psychological aspects of what's going on with email connections but that's so not what this is about please continue (laughs) well i mean to, to kind of follow up on that i i find myself as well there are certain authors and i just the first name that pops into my mind is david baldacci who's who's very prolific hugely successful. I don't think of him as a person. I've never met him. Um, I enjoy his books. I'm not on his email list. He's he's just this entity. He's like a brand that creates products and sends it out. As opposed to some newsletters, even if they're equally high profile, if you you get a sense of that personal connection, then suddenly they're a person. You get to know them a little bit better and you, instead of, yeah, I'm looking for a story, so I think I'll buy a David Baldacci book, it's like, oh, this person who I know a little bit about as a real person is publishing a book, and I would like to buy it. 
A, because I think I I might enjoy it, and B, because I want to support this person because they're a real person, and I I see them as a person rather than a company or a brand. Yeah, I think, I mean, we've talked about this before, but it was so long ago that I think that's the biggest mistake that new authors can make when they first start off their mailing list journey is being so overly formal and not personal. like. I don't know, this is just just kind of how I view it, but I feel like who you are is what you have. That that that's what that's all you've got when you're first starting out. So why not be you and 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 welcome people to the extent that you can and just be real. That that was always my my take on it and that people who come into this industry trying to be so professional, but not yet having the books under their belt to to support that attitude, it can almost be a little off-putting. But that that again is just me. I I have no idea what the average reader or email recipient thinks. I mean, I really wish I did. Yeah, I suspect that the average reader does not subscribe to email lists for the people that they whose books they read. I I suspect that that's, it's a fairly low percentage of readers who subscribe to email lists. Uh, I I have no data to back that up. It just seems that way. Um, Probably most of the people whose books I read, I not subscribe to an email list. But anyway, let's, let's move on. This is, this I think is the most interesting part. How do you gain new subscribers? Uh, 70, 75% gain new subscribers from links in the back of the books. And I find that interesting. Like I really struggle to get a link to work in my Kindle, but I think probably most people read on devices other than e-ink Kindle devices where it's easier to click on a link on like your phone or an iPad or something like that, and then just go and subscribe. I wish there were an easy way to do that in the Kindle, but it's a struggle. When um when my first books were coming out, it wasn't really an option to put links in my mm-hmm. books, written you know print or or email. That was only an option that came available to me in much much later. But I remember at the time thinking how frustrating it was to not have a way to communicate directly with my audience because the the ways that we interact or communicate are so scattered. You know, you have multiple forms of social media, you have websites, you know, articles and interviews and whatnot, but there's no single place that every person who reads your book is going to be. And you'd end up with these scenarios where like I'd spend months promoting a book that would be coming out. I would do it by email. I would do it by social media. And then I'd hear from people who go, Hey, I haven't seen anything from you in, you know, three years. Have you written anything since the information is? And I just want to slam my head on the desk Mm -hmm. because all that work (laughs) and I'm reaching just such a small fraction of people who actually want to know when my books are being published. And so to me, being able to put that information in the book itself was like, that's where it should go. 
And once I was able to start doing that, I really stopped caring about many of the other the other ways of communicating because I felt like they know how to find me now. If they're interested in seeing more of what I have to say, the information is there. They have the book. They can they can go to it. So for me, I think now it would be links in the back of my books. That would be my number one. Okay. But and so yeah. second, as as you can probably imagine, second on the list is links on social media. So that would be presumably this is people looking you up on social media for the purposes of trying to follow you, either on yeah, social media or looking for are. other ways of following yeah. you. Uh, 56% uh, through the giveaway of free books. And in the indie world, uh, five years ago, it's still a thing today, uh, not as much as it was five or six years ago, uh, when Mark Dawson was kind of the first to really professionalize the idea of giving away books as a as as a way of getting people onto your email list. And, and now there are so many different ways of of doing that, and, and we'll get into that as we go down this list here. Um, organic website traffic is next on the list at the, the same as uh, same percentage, 56% as giveaways of free books. Um, yeah, it's another it's another way where you Google search an author, uh, go to their website and sign up for their email list. That's probably my, for me, it's the easiest way to do it. But you have to have an email. You have to have an email list. A, obviously. Uh, B, you have to have a website, and it needs to be really easy to find where to subscribe to the email list. Some people hide it. Uh, next on the list, promotional sites like BookFunnel, BookSweeps, and LitRing. I'm I'm very familiar with BookFunnel, not so much BookSweeps or LitRing, but those are collections of books that are being given away um, where everyone who's a part of the collection is involved in collecting the email list. So you you want to be you want to put together a group of of people who write books that are similar to yours. And then everybody promotes this giveaway. Say you get 20 authors, so you've got 20 20 authors promoting this to, to their list. Um, send people there. And in effect, you're all basically sharing your email list by by doing this. Readers get free books that they that they may enjoy. Um, that that really does work well. I suspect you've never done anything like that, Taylor. As no, you, I you, haven't. And you, as you're as we're reading all of these off, I'm just thinking about it, and I was like, I don't really see the point. <laughs> like building my email list has never been a way for me to, I've never viewed it as a way to sell books per se, more as a way to interact with mm -hmm. readers and fans who want more than what the books have to offer and a way to stay in touch and stay quasi relevant in people's minds, I guess. But I don't, my 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 mailing list is not that large because I've never made a real push to grow it because for me, I don't I've never really seen the point in growing growth for the sake of growth. I've always had more of like 
quality over quantity. Like, I want people who really want to connect with me on that list, not people who are there just because there was a free book and will never open mm-hmm. another one of my emails because I put so much work into them, you know? So I've never really seen a reason to do any of those other things. Well, I think the reasons become more apparent if you're an indie author where you, yeah. your books aren't winding up in bookstores and you you don't have a, a PR division that, that's helping to promote your books. Not that that's actually a thing anymore, unless you're at a certain level. Um, but it, it's all on you as an indie author. And the book, yeah. the email list is such a valuable thing. So that gets that gets to the next one. Newsletter swaps with other authors. That's something that, especially in, in the world of romance, and this is completely sexist, but it seems to me in talking to different authors that women are much better at this than men are because women tend to communicate better than men. Yeah, I think and we tend to be a little bit more collaborative too. Yes, yeah. So uh, I, I know several people who built massive email lists before they ever published a book. And so that when they, were, when they did publish the book, they, they had the ability to put it in front of a lot of people and it helped to launch some, some really nice careers. And that to do that, you need to swap with the right people. You need, your list needs to be valuable so that you can, you're offering something something of value to people. Yeah. Yeah. So you need, even if you haven't, in this case, this author hadn't published a book yet, but she was publishing via her email list or to her email list, you know, interesting things, sort of like not not the kind of information that you were distributing, Taylor, but similar in that it's interesting to her readers, the way that what you right. put out was interesting to your readers. And and so there's there was value there and people were willing to do swaps with her. And so in, in talking to authors, you'll hear female authors talking about newsletter swaps much more often than you'll hear male authors talking about them, but I assume that they, they do them as well. Uh, giveaway of bonus content. That seems pretty self-explanatory. There are some people that whenever they write a new series, they'll write a short story as an intro to the series or something as a, as a way of getting people in, um, advertising also kind of self-explanatory. Uh, giveaways of other prizes. This is this is something that I completely don't understand. It's like my brain just doesn't comprehend this. But I've talked to a number of people who do this very successfully, where you're you're just giving away things that are related to your books as a way of of getting getting interest in signing up for the mailing list. Well, like it, it, when when I would do um, in person events. Mm-hmm. I would pass around um, a sign-up sheet so that people would give me their email addresses. And sometimes I would like give away a, a book, one of my books, like sort of like a mm-hmm. raffle drawing, like get your name, put your name on the list, get a ticket. And then somebody's going to win this, you know, audio book or this oh, okay. hardcover. Right. And so that might be kind of in that vein also. Okay. And that, that makes, that makes perfect sense, especially at an in-person event. Um, all right. Next section, how many subscribers do you have? Uh, the the largest, say that again. At this part, I'm like, Ooh, 
<laughs> so the largest bar, the tallest bar, this is a bar chart, is 1,000 to 5,000. That's 33%. I'm in that one. And the next largest is under 500. That's 30%. And then from there, if you take out those two, it's a it's a the traditional step down bar graph that you would typically see, um, where each each step to the right takes you further down to the point where over fifty thousand is the largest category, and that's two percent, four percent. That's expensive. Uh, twenty thousand. That's a lot. <laughs> that's yes. That's because you yes. pay. You know, when you have a mailing list, you pay based on how many subscribers you have. So if you have 50,000 subscribers, you really want them to be, and you're paying for that, you really want them to be people who actually open your emails and listen to what you have to say and not just there for a freebie. And the last question, which platform do you currently use? Uh, the largest uh, is 44% is MailerLite and then MailChimp and then a bunch of others. Uh, but but yeah, MailerLite forty four percent isn't on this. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's not it's not on the list. Um, some of the ones that are on the list are really, um, like high profile marketing email products. Uh, that you're pro it's probably overkill for an author, and they would be really expensive. Um, MailerLite is pretty reasonable. Mailchimp less reasonable than they used to be. And uh, there's one on here. I, I can't remember if it's exactly the one, but there was one that was announced at 20 books a year or so ago that was really inexpensive and it's on this list, but I, I, I'm not certain which one, it, which one it is. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to mention it, but it, it's, it's dominated by two providers, essentially MailerLite and uh, MailChimp. And they're all, pretty much the same um in terms in the, of what they offer yeah that the, they allow you to do certain things they the reporting we have just a a cautionary tale um an author friend that that i know has a pretty big email list they were using a an email company that's on this list uh that has been very popular and they're changing their support model to the point where now they're essentially not offering any support at all. And she had a situation where they billed her annually and she wanted to be billed monthly. So they credited her account for the monthly, the annual billing, charged her for the monthly billing, and then canceled her account. Oh my and God. She was unable, after six weeks, she's still unable to reach anyone to say, turn my account back on. I'm paying you, or give me my give me my readers or my my list. That she never, is she never backed it up. So see, that's one had, thing I've uh, yeah, I've been yeah, so scared of that. that so anyway, I that's that's the cautionary tale. Download back up your list and back yeah. up your email sequence so that if you have to recreate it somewhere else, it can be done pretty quickly and back them up regularly because this yeah. was a nightmare scenario. So she had to go from, uh, to recreate the list, she had to take her, the list that she imported into, into this because she changed from another service 
and then go back to all of the emails that she got saying you have a new subscriber and then manually add them in and then apologize when she sent it out because half of them may have already unsubscribed, but she would have no way of knowing. So yeah, it's a real problem. And if that's, if being able to communicate via email with your readers to let them know about new books is a revenue driver for you, that really impacts your, uh, that's your revenue That's such well. a nightmare, yeah. Yeah. So that's it. Um, it was an interesting survey. It's interesting seeing what other people do with their, uh, with their email list. And it's just kind of a, a reminder that it's still important. And oh, what I wouldn't give for the same data coming back from email receivers, <laughs> the, the subscribers themselves of what it is they hope for or look for in um, in receiving email from from the authors that they follow. Yeah, and there I, there are people who will do reader surveys once a year, uh, which I think is is a useful thing to do. Um, but it just, you know, requires some discipline. But th- th- there's some really useful information. Mark Dawson, who just kind of is a master of this stuff, and he should be because he sells courses about it. Um, one of the things that he would do regularly as a part of his email service would say, how much would you pay for one of my books? And he's an indie author. And he found that his readers were overwhelmingly willing to pay more than he was charging for them. So he raised the price. Interesting. Wow. That's cool. That's cool to know that they're... That's that's a thing. Yeah. So that's it for this week. Um, So thank you guys for listening, and we will be back with you again next week. See you again next week, guys. Thanks for being here.